0: Welcome to Higher Education Without Borders, a podcast series dedicated to education professionals worldwide. This series is hosted by Dr. Sental Nathan and Dean Hoke, managing partners in Alliance. Each episode is a conversation with thought leaders that will enlighten and provide some new thoughts on critical issues facing higher education. We hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Welcome to Higher Education Without Borders, and thank you for tuning in. I am uh, Dr. Central Nathan in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, and with me is my co-host, Dean Hoke in Bloomington, Indiana. Dean, we'll introduce our guest for the day.
2: I certainly will, and it's really my honor, uh, somebody that I have known for a few years since returning to the United States. And joining us today is Dr. Gil Lance, who is the Vice Provost for Global Strategies and International Affairs for The Ohio State University, now that you have the trademark. And this includes (laughs) as president of Ohio State University Global Gateway Network. That's part of your responsibilities. You also oversee the offices in Shanghai and in Mumbai and in Sao Paulo. That's quite a bit of geography. Gil holds a BA from Occidental College majoring in religious studies and English literature. He earned his master's and PhD in geography from the University of Chicago. He also was a graduate research student at the University of Tokyo. And by the way, he was also a Fulbright scholar um, at the University of Florence. Welcome to the show, Gil. How are you doing?
3: I'm fine. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with both of you.
2: Thank you. Central, why don't you lead off? Uh, Gil... uh...
1: Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you choose to pursue this career and uh, what what in your background, in your education and experience uh, that helped you to succeed in this current career? Uh, for example, if you can even explain a typical week at OSU for you, that will be interesting.
3: Well, let me start with a typical week and, and then in, in order to go, go to the career path and how the two fit together, uh, because I think the audience uh, is is very interested in in this series of presentations about how different universities are pursuing this question of a global engagement in our uh, rapidly developing world of interconnections. At Ohio State, we have uh, a, a, a significant global reach uh, in in three different parts of the world, so I'm I'm focused on a daily basis or a weekly basis on um, opportunities that we have to integrate questions about global engagement into the curriculum, uh, into our partnerships, uh, into our uh, uh, supportive research by faculty, and there are a whole range of of uh, scholarships uh, and planning committees and planning exercises that go along with those. Uh, so, for example, uh, in, in the realm of education, we, we restructured our Fulbright program over the last years, and we're, we're very proud of the fact that we ranked in the top five for Fulbright Student and Scholar Awards in 2021-22. Uh, we have three federally funded various study centers, uh, one focusing on East Asia, one Latin America, and one focusing on Slavic Eastern Europe. And, um, and those uh, bring faculty together to do creative interdisciplinary research to solve challenging issues around the world. Um, in the area of, of university partnerships, they can be outside the United States or, or local. I'll talk about this a little bit later uh, in our interview here. Uh, but, but generally speaking, we're trying to demonstrate how the university by entering into partnerships uh, Learns from uh, our partners as well as contributes to problem solving that we define together mutually, and then there's this question finally of, of reputation. Uh, we uh, you know we attract a number of international students. They come here because of the high quality of the education. At the same time, how can we effectively support international students? And we we have ideas about that. But I think bringing international students into a discussion through a formal committee where we uh, learn from them about what their challenges are as as, uh, visitors to the United States uh, and the goals that they have for their future professional growth. So those are some examples of things that I'm working on every day. Mm -hmm. And then briefly, my my career path is unusual. It's reflected, I think, by the fact that I, I started out in the humanities and then I moved into the social sciences and my graduate work. I've always been very interested in um, how universities engage uh, with communities or with other universities on research questions that have an applied focus. Uh, The Global Gate Residency that you referred to is a great example of this. It's a way for me to uh, help our faculty understand and contribute to understanding at the university about three different uh, parts of the world. Similarly, for those uh, federally funded area studies centers, those uh, overlap, but also broaden our uh, study of the world. And uh, we're, we're trying to elevate the importance of global engagement here at, at Ohio State uh, in everything that we do. Uh, and it is something we have a history and a tradition of doing, but in our globally interdependent world. Uh, becomes ever more important in the present time.
2: Gil, let's let's talk about those international students that come directly to the Columbus campus. Give me a, a bit of a demographics. In other words, these are primarily graduate students versus undergraduate students. And probably the second half of that question is a student that comes from another country, what are the challenges that they face coming to quite frankly, a very large urban campus? Um, I'm kind of curious about the challenges and opportunities that those international students see.
3: Well, Ohio State uh, has has ranked as high as as uh, number ten in terms of international students. Um, uh, we generally though hover around uh, the rank of nineteen or twenty. It's it's an impressive number, over six thousand five hundred, and uh, in the Big Ten the Big Ten is the Big Ten academic Alliance that we're part of here in the middle western part of the country uh, are very similar to our peers in terms of numbers the economic impact of the, of these students and their families when they come uh, through um, annual reporting done by the Institute for International education and and other organizations uh, and I can get into some of that economic impact I think I think one way to think about international uh uh, student mobility is is that the families who come uh, at the undergraduate level in particular are making a huge investment because of the costs associated. It's a kind of foreign direct investment in the United States. They're assessing where high-quality institutions are and how, as a family, their uh, child, their, their student will uh, benefit from um, learning about the United States, learning a particular major and course of study and how that will create a foundation for whatever they choose to do on graduation. Um, overall, there are about uh, uh, 550,000 living alumni uh, connected to Ohio State, so it's a big institution of 65, 68,000 students, but it also has a huge alumni base and uh, if the current figures are used generally, our international students are about ten percent of the population of the university. and so you can divide that ten you know, percent into the uh, overall number. and we're trying to work more closely with these students and wow. uh, graduated and are doing great things around the world. The sheer size of of the institution and the fact that international students often, or almost always come out of an educational system that is somewhat different than ours creates uh, a number of challenges. We work very hard at integrating international students uh, into the campus and community. Uh, there's a there are hundreds of student groups. The International Student Association is one of the most prominent event. That's the largest of of any do called a taste of OSU where. Uh, students uh, prepare a dish from their country and there, there's dance and fashion and 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 thousands of people attend uh, in an evening celebration of our global connections. There's an advising system, of course, that, that works at uh, helping students adjust to studying in the United States. Um, and uh, we try to use peer mentors in the Office of International Affairs to those who are more experienced international and also domestic students who reach out and try to um, meet the international students where they are and help them have as uh, rich and satisfying an experience as they can have. And I think here in in Columbus, uh, it's a medium-sized US city. It's 14th largest in the country. So it has all of the attributes of a very large city, but, but the city is welcoming, friendly and uh I think it's a comfortable place for students to come. Uh, maybe a little bit less overwhelming than New York or Los Angeles, for example.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. It, it it does have that Midwestern size to it as opposed to a little bit of the coastal sort of thing. Central, go ahead. Yeah. Uh,
1: Gil, in, in recent years, uh, OSU has made some uh, deliberate choices to establish offices in India, Brazil, etc. You kind of uh, alluded to that with uh, Dean. Uh, But can you explain the rationale? uh, What prompted OSU to do this?
3: Uh, That's a great question. And uh, the the answer uh, uh, is a a little surprising in some ways. We've seen a phenomenon in higher education in the United States, but increasingly in other parts uh, of the world to create what are called branch campuses. And these are entities often in partnership with a university in in a local country. Uh, Famous examples are New York University um, has a branch campus in China, as as does uh, Duke in uh, in Shanghai. And we're approached regularly and have been for many years now about having a branch campus. I think that if you look at the uh, operation of branch campuses from an American perspective, they're almost always, not always, but almost always private institutions. New York and Duper University are examples of this. When when your mandate as a public institution, first and foremost is to serve the state in which you're located, and then the concentric circles go out to the region, the country, and the world, Um, the rationale for spending public money um, outside the United States is is a little bit more challenging to make. And so to get to your question, what Ohio State came up with um, about 11, 12 years ago was the idea that we would create what we call global offices, uh, gateway offices is the term we use. Mm -hmm. And these are very small offices with a local staff of three, four or five people uh, we started with China and Shanghai, uh, and then uh, the second uh, was established in Mumbai, India. And then the third, more recently, was established in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And and so the, I think it's the concept first that we try to um, create an identity for ourselves by investing in particularly important parts of the world and demonstrating to our partners there that we uh, are committed uh, to understanding local circumstances, and we're committed to uh, working together with our partners to pursue uh, mutually defined projects. Why the particular places? Well, I think I think they were decided before I arrived uh, here in my current appointment. I've been here since 2019.
1: We see that uh, YSU has established lots of agreements around the world. Um, but can you talk about some of the effective ones that, because it's, uh, you know, as, uh, as we deal in universities, we sign MOUs agreements all the time, but some work, some don't. Uh, can you talk about some of the ones that do work?
3: Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a, an image that, that is created by what you say, you know, you think of a file cabinet. I know that sounds old fashioned these days, but you know what I mean. It's a and visual. <laughs> <laughs> these file cabinets get filled with these MOUs, pieces of paper, yeah. uh, and they're recorded. Uh, we did this, but but what, what's the outcome? And the outcome is really related to a few, mm. of many of these MOUs. And the key to an effective memorandum of understanding um, is to have a champion on both sides, um, and to have and to have expectations for how the the uh, relationship uh, identifies projects and then executes over time very exciting when they happen uh, they can happen uh, in the research uh, dimension and they can happen in working with non-governmental organizations and they can happen with the private sector and so I pulled out a few examples they happen to focus on Japan, have agreements all over the world, and, and uh, Japan is not largest in number, but in quality, there, there are a couple of fascinating, couple three fascinating examples. One is Scuba uh, in Japan, Scuba University, and it's also a city name. And so, a lot of government agencies are located there where research is conducted, the university is there, there's intentional synergy in their activities. We're part of, we consider SCUBA to be one of our comprehensive strategic partnerships. It takes the champion idea and it it across um, uh, more than one college. So we have the College of Engineering involved with SCUBA. We have the Arts and Sciences College involved in our partnership with SCUBA. Um, And uh, we have our education and human ecology college involved with SCUBA. And each of them are pursuing projects related to either research or um, graduate student um, uh, interaction going both ways. Uh, some examples I've that I mentioned um, in conversation with you recently about, I was just in France in Grenoble at a conference at the University of Grenoble. That conference was organized by SCUPA. It, it leads a consortium of German, French, uh, uh, Chinese, uh, Indian, uh, and and US universities uh, to look at various strategic questions. Um, One one of them uh, that we're part of, one of the questions that we work with them on that goes across these three colleges is digitization of science. You know, big data, how do you organize in ways that? It's accessible and it allows for new research questions to be asked. So, Scuba um, uh, stands out in in as an example. Um, another is Waseda. So, Scuba is a national university. Waseda is a private university, also um, very highly ranked, and uh, and we are involved with Waseda in a number of different ways. Um, we've uh, tried to. Um, identify areas of common interest. Uh, one, one of the things that Wasit is doing right now is is thinking deeply about how it can create more opportunities for, all, for more of its students to have study abroad experiences uh, that not only gives them exposure to the world, create leadership potential, very intentional program on their part. Well, how, how do they create a reputation to attract students who want to pursue international work, uh, study, uh, uh, and then how do, you, how do you pay for it? Uh, how do you raise money uh, from sources that may not be uh, the typical ones—the government, for example—or from tuition uh, revenues uh, to send to create access to send larger numbers of students abroad? And uh, we have some fundraising approaches that we're considering, and they have some, and we're we're exchanging ideas along those lines and. Um, Wasada uh, uh, finally is the most internationally uh, integrated university in Japan by by a whole number of measures and uh, in many ways it's more internationally integrated than Ohio State. So we can learn from them in that regard. And then last the last uh, example, um, we're very proud of the fact that not only does Honda have its largest manufacturing facility, in the United States, right outside of Columbus. Uh, But there's, over the the last 20 years, we've developed a number of collaborative research projects with them, Um, and there has been um, a steady stream of people from the College of Engineering in particular into the Honda plant, uh, where really innovative things are going on with energy efficient vehicles and autonomous vehicle design. Um, And our Center for Automotive Research is the lead uh, for working with them and then in turn uh, Honda's uh, philanthropic generosity has been just tremendous it's helped create endowed shares at the university uh it's helped create scholarships for students to study engineering it's helped create internships so that students graduate with a sense of how automotive uh, plant works and how to how to be a contributor to that so that's that's really an example the best example I can think of where you you you're you're pointing to the we are pointing to the fact that there are local dimensions of yeah. global activity.
1: Yeah, I can see also
3: there's champion for Japan at, at OSU. <laughs> yes, yes, you're getting some of that. I, I I thought I could have picked a lot of examples. I, I want to emphasize, <laughs> right. but I wanted, right. I wanted to pull this one, and uh, not to take anything away from the tremendous achievements of many countries, India and China being examples. But I, I think these days we tend to forget that Japan remains the third largest economy in the world and uh, the first non-Western economy to um, uh, become modern and industrialized and, and and a great nation in that sense. So we've got some examples right here in in uh, the Middle West. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Dean,
2: I think you've talked a little bit about this already, and this this the whole concept of internationalization, but in fact, Ohio State has an international strategic plan, if I remember right. You co-chair yes. it. it, are you a co-chair right. of the, right. the program? Can you briefly discuss the the plan and OSU's goals from that strategic plan? Because I mean, that sounds like quite a task that you've taken on, but also it seems like Ohio State's put quite a priority on this, so.
3: Thank you for saying that. I, it's an important question, um, and it's not unique to Ohio State. I think that there's been a general trend across the country for large institutions to create, first of all, a, a unified Office of International Affairs where there's of many of the activities related to partnerships, study abroad, uh, recruiting international students, supporting international students, and research centers, as I mentioned earlier. Um, In Ohio State's case, uh, we we have our own approach, and and, um, I I came three years ago, and my first assignment was to take the university through an international strategic planning process, and out of it came five goals. But but I think what's what's important for this conversation, although I'll in a minute touch on these goals, is to just share a couple of of statements um, I've pulled out. These are from the American Council on Education. Which is the largest membership-based organization in the United States representing thousands of, of higher education institutions in our country. And, and so they answer the question: why is internationalization? What is internationalization? Why is it important? And, and their answer is: in order for our country to have a truly world-class higher education system, colleges and universities must be globally engaged and prepare students to be citizens of a multicultural community both at home and in a globalized world and institutions to accomplish this having a multidimensional comprehensive strategy that includes internationalization at home and engagement with global issues and partners now that's a mouthful uh and i and i uh it, it's something we could spend uh the whole day talking about but the but if i could reduce it to one thing you know students are the center of everything the university does who are ready to work in an interconnected world and the curriculum contributes to this Uh, experiences with international students who come to study with us contributes to this preparation there are a whole range of things study abroad obviously contributes to this and we're we're intentionally trying to create uh, through a series of goals uh, how students should be prepared to work in a globally independent world, and how we know that they're prepared, how we can we can see the outcomes from their experience at the university through assessment instruments and surveys and the like. So that that's that's a, a very brief description of why it's important and why we have placed emphasis on this. Our five goals, which I can elaborate on if there's time, but I'll just read them. then there's. We have one for global education and student experience. So a so goal that has initiatives, tactics, and, and annual metrics of measurement. A second is globally significant research. Uh, we've talked about that already, and uh, we're trying to in- increase the amount of research that we do internationally. Uh, and so much of the research today is international um, it, because the problems that research addresses a third goal has to do with international partnerships and collaborations. We've talked quite a bit about that today, and we have a, a partnership unit within the Office of International Affairs that is in uh, charge that responsibility. A fourth goal is global reputation and outreach. I talked about this earlier in terms of what attracts international students, uh, but we're in a very competitive world with other countries, not only other universities, and, you know, when you think of Ohio State, do you think of uh, the, the trademark, uh, Um do you think of the football team? Um, do you think of uh, what our international graduates are doing around the world that we have to consciously create, not allow our reputation to uh, evolve by, by chance? And then last but not least, uh, global operations is a goal. Um, how do we reduce friction within the university that gets in the way of, of any international activity? Uh, and, and, and global operations, by the way, can extend to advocacy. How do we work with our government relations team uh, to make sure that the interests of international researchers and international students are reflected in Washington, D.C., as Congress considers legislation or um, funding uh, various projects that relate to America's competitiveness in a global economy.
1: Uh, Gil, as an international student myself, uh, in the 80s and my kids in the, you know, more recently in the US, uh, we've always been fascinated by lots of our American classmates when we studied, not really being exposed to the world outside of US. Yeah, and so thinking of uh, study abroad uh, programs for your domestic students, uh, what are some innovative ways uh, you OSU promotes this? And I, I'm sure from your own experience as well as the experience of some of the interesting students, American students that you may have come across, can you uh, tell us a little bit more specifically how this helps American students study study abroad program? Yeah.
3: Well, I'll I'll start with a statistic. Um, the the there's research now that goes back ten years that shows that students who participate in study abroad graduate uh, in a timely fashion.
2: Hmm.
3: You know, if we think of study at four years for the for the degree or six years, more of more of the students in study abroad complete their degrees in four years. So that so that it there's something about obviously study abroad that acts as a catalyst hmm. when the the uh, program that they're in um, doesn't delay time to degree, but can actually increase time to degree. And I and I think some of that I can explain what I think that catalyst is. But there's there's evidence that something happens to students as they broaden their view of the world and come back to the campus and and continue to go through uh, the process of, of receiving the Greek degree um in, in my experience and in the programs here, and one of the keys to effective study abroad is self-reflection. Mm. And in other words, you, you are simply having an experience as profound as that can be when you thrust yourself into a setting where you don't necessarily speak the language. Um, and where um, all things that you thought were universal aren't, right? and you have to adjust. You it's not your world. You you're a visitor in another world. And and what we want to do is grab that discomfort or curiosity, and have students think about it and write about it. We start that reflection process before they leave, in uh, pre-departure orientation. We encourage uh, the syllabus that a, a professor uh, develops to have reflective exercises, not only of a personal nature, but related to the literature, because there's a literature out there of travel and and how it affects people and uh, has for for centuries. And then when they come back um, in the ideal framework that I'm sketching, the student starts to pull together the the three stages, pre-departure, experience, and then um, re-entry, and asks, what have I learned? How am I different? What difference does it make that I had this experience? And then are there are there opportunities? can can those students share that experience with others in the class, to motivate others to take sometimes a very courageous step to step outside the world I know? Um, are there ways those students can interact with high school teachers or middle school teachers in our community? And that of course can apply to our international students too. So so the, the, the experience, the intentional reflection, um, I think rounds uh, an individual out at a, as an undergraduate student. And um, you know, I'll just I'll just take it back to the first question you asked, how did I get into this? Well, I had study abroad. Yeah. And it, it had a profound effect on me immediately. Mm. Uh, and then it planted some seeds that yeah. didn't go until later in my life when I decided to go to graduate school and then to become a member of, of a university faculty. Yeah. And uh, I, I attribute the, the path I took to some of this intentional reflection that I was encouraged to undertake. And uh, I'm, I'm, my life is richer Mm for it just as yours is, just as Dean's is. And uh, and I think we want to figure out ways to share that richness with as many people as possible. And last but not least, not everyone can go and study abroad. They may have responsibilities that make it difficult to do that in their home life. Uh, There may be financial obstacles that can't be overcome. There are um, virtual ways now increasingly that we can bring students uh, together with our students from around the world, to work on projects, uh, and it. I wouldn't say that it's the same experience, and we're increasingly doing more of these virtual programs for students as well.
2: This is our our last question, and I'm going to go a bit off the beaten path here a little bit. Okay. Um, you two both have actually did study abroad and things. My first time, actually, I was 59 years old before I actually went somewhere else and. One of the things that, and being a native of South Vienna, Ohio, which is, you know, about 30 miles from Ohio State, I never thought I'd really get a chance to do that. But one of the things that fascinated me is when I ran across faculty and administration in other countries, and I would kind of in casual chit chat, ask them where they went. Mm -hmm. I was surprised how many had gone to Midwest. Universities such as Ohio State, Indiana, Purdue, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think the second part of it that fascinated me was the intense loyalty and pride yeah. that yeah. they had. I, I, Where I'd like to go with this is that many international universities outside the United States rarely tap into that form of internationalism in terms of their graduates who had other things. Have you found that important in the Ohio State experience in terms of having those yeah. online? I'd kind of like to hear a little bit about that.
3: Well, if I go on too long on this fascinating question, just, you know, give me well, the- Well, I'll give you the big wave. <laughs> yeah, big
2: wave.
3: You know, I, I really think that's a, 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 not only fascinating, but it, it's so important for us to pull into this conversation, whether it's me or others who are interviewing, um, I'm going to let me tell an anecdote and and then follow up with um, the, the question of how how does one how do these international partners who have studied in the United States relate to the work that we do now? So the anecdote is uh, a really a story about Indiana uh, and the Indianapolis campus of Indiana University, which is called Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. And I used to be there and we were one of two educational entities in the United States that received permission from the U.S. Treasury to have a degree program with Iran uh, 20-some years ago. We've had a number of Iranian students uh, come to study with us as a result of having this program. And I've been to Tehran uh, and visited our partners there and I and so I'm going to relate to your comment. So I, I I'm there. They speak fluent English. The people we're, we're interacting with they receive degrees all over the United States, and you know it is a conservative society that is broiled in uh, a number of disagreements with the United States that limit our ability to interact with each other. And uh, so we we asked uh, uh, once we felt it was appropriate to do so. We said, why do you want to have? opportunities in the united states and and several of them said in response well we are who we are as as uh, senior professors at these institutions because of the experience we have studying in another country not just the united states but european countries as well and we uh, we know that if our students don't have the experience of seeing the world that as they become professors their lives are going to be constrained, their thinking will be constrained, their ability to understand how problems can be solved and overcome that seem intractable. We want them to have that experience. And I think that is a a really very powerful story about the benefits of local engagement or internationalization as it's called. And then to shift to your, your question, well, it's not just because it benefits Iran in this case, which is an unusual case. Everywhere I go, if I meet someone who studied at Ohio State or even other universities, they understand something about the entrepreneurial, innovative, creative way that American universities and and faculty can think about problem solving. Um, It's not to say that we're the only place in the world that does that, but we're welcoming and open in ways that many universities are not. When it comes to uh, thinking about big ideas, it's part of what attracts people to study with us. And and, and we can help them with their idea internal to their institution because we understand their idea. They know we understand their idea. We immediately have a champion A, but we have somebody who, who understands how we think, can help us avoid missteps of assumptions. So, for example, Americans are, you know, we love to talk about money. You know, we love to um, solve problems. And so the the typical story is the businessman who gets sent to uh, another country and and is expected to come back with a contract and he he or she comes back and no contract. And so the initiative stops. Well, you, you don't get a contract the first time you go to abroad. You know, you have to learn how to develop a relationship. Oh, that's not really important. Well, it is. It is. And, and so they know we we have these common understandings of what's similar and difference and the potential of those two things being put together in a way that allows for a partnership to evolve and new ideas to result from it. I think that, that if what you're getting at finally is, is there an opportunity here for um, um, universities outside the United States with degree holders from the United States? to work in in some kind of affinity group to advance the the cause of that local university outside the United States, yes. And, And if they need a partner to do that, we're the partner. The United States institutions could be a great partner because I think we understand how to have those unusual relationships that are creative and entrepreneurial.
2: Well, I must say, Gil, with that statement, you may be getting a lot of emails because
3: you no. Know, I knew you were gonna say that.
2: Okay. I can help it. I mean, we've about 50% of our audience is US, and the others from everywhere else in the world. So you might be getting an email or two going.
3: I might. I I'm might going to call I, you on that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, it's I'm I'm happy. I'm always happy to receive emails. I, I I wonder if if we, you know, you you might want to edit this part a little bit. At <laughs> a chance. Uh, it's an intriguing idea. And Maybe there's a way you can pull out of these interviews one or two examples of these things that aren't attributed just to one person but represent a common denominator.
1: Yeah.
3: And, um, and and it's, you know, it's your question and, and Central's question that bring these kinds of things out. And that's really important role that you're playing in this series and in the work that you do.
2: Well, thank you.
1: So, uh, th- thanks, Gil. Uh, we would like to Thank our special guest, Dr. Gill Latz, uh, Vice Provost for Global Strategies and International Affairs at The Ohio State University. And this concludes this episode of Higher Ed Without Borders. Uh, if you'd like to comment on today's show and suggest a future guest, please go to uh, www.highereducationwithoutborders.com in the comment section. On behalf of uh, Dean Hoke, uh, Edualians, our production team, myself and Dr. Latz, thank you very much. and make sure to subscribe via our favorite podcast app. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Edu Alliance is an international higher education consulting firm with offices in Abu Dhabi since 2014 and Bloomington, Indiana, since 2017. Nathan and Hoke, along with their team of experienced education professionals, have assisted over 30 universities in nine countries. If you wish to learn more about Higher Ed Without Borders, please go to our website at www.higheredwithoutborders.com. You will find details on our podcast, contact information, and Edu Alliance's services. Thank you.